Hey guys, this is Brie. You are listening to Brief. Today I am doing the book Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Okay, in this episode we will cover context and go over chapters one through nine. And then in the next episode, we'll cover the rest of the book, which is chapters 10 through 20. And I'm just going to get right in. Context and overview. Their Eyes Were Watching God is a book that was written by Zola Neale Hurston in 1937. Hurston is an African-American writer, anthropologist, and filmmaker. She was born in 1891 in Alabama, but she lived most of her life in Florida and died in 1960. She wrote three other novels, but this was definitely her most popular And it's considered Harlem Renaissance, which is or was an intellectual, social, and artistic explosion in Harlem in the 1920s. The novel follows a woman named Janie Crawford from her teenage years through adulthood. It's set in Florida in the early 20th century. The novel switches back and forth from third-person narrative, like an omniscient narrative, to dialogue between the characters, which is always a very thick southern accent and because I don't know how to do a thick southern accent when I quote the characters in the novel I will be mostly talking in like regular English today's English grammar I'm not going to try to do a southern accent okay major characters the first like I said our protagonist is Janie Crawford she's a beautiful black woman with long hair they always talk about how her hair is long and straight like white women hair and people are envious of her for this. So Janie growing up fantasizes about finding love and believes that she will find it. Her grandmother has different plans for her. She grew up in slavery and so the most important thing to her is that Janie have an advantageous marriage so that she can be protected. So Janie is married off very young to a wealthy man who she hates She's pretty firm in her ways, but she is pretty obedient as far as when men tell her to do something or to be quiet. But throughout the novel, she is very forgiving and very loving, and she grows more and more independent as time goes on. So the next character is Jody Starks. He is Janie's second husband. His real name is Joe, but she calls him Jody. And it starts out hopeful. He seems kind and to truly love her or at least want to love her. But his desire for her is overpowered by his desire for power and money and liberation from racism. He becomes very successful in his life, becoming the mayor of the town and being really wealthy and having everyone's respect. But he forces Janie to be a submissive wife And that obviously doesn't work for her. Tea Cake is the last character I'm going to talk about. His real name is Virgible Woods, but everyone calls him Tea Cake. He is Janie's third husband. He's much younger than Janie, but he has a love for life and he shows Janie how to love life as well. He's mostly respectful, lets Janie do what she wants. He does have his faults and moments of deceit messes up a few times but overall he is the one in Janie's life who showed her the most love and gave her the most independence and gave her a voice or I guess allowed her to have a voice 
Okay, there's three themes that I'm going to talk about. I'm just going to mention them here. I'll talk about them at the end, but they are gender roles, liberation, and the use of language. Chapter summaries. There are 20 chapters, and this is chapter one. The novel opens with a woman walking down the street in a town somewhere in the south. She's returning from somewhere. She's been gone for a long time, and the people, mostly women, watching from their porches are judging her. She's wearing muddy clothes, overalls, and this pleases them because they are resentful to her for some reason. They gossip about how she left town a few years ago with a much younger man named Tea Cake. So the woman walking down the street is Janie. Her maiden name is Crawford, but she marries three times, so she has a lot of different last names. But they know her as Janie Starks because she was married to Joe Starks when she lived in this town. So they talk about how tea cake must have taken her money and left her for a younger woman janie turns to them as she's walking down the street says good evening but she doesn't stay to talk and she walks into her home the women are clearly envious of her beauty and the men watch her and desire her phoebe watson is one of the women on the porch she was janie's best friend when she lived in town and so she sticks up for janie and phoebe leaves while the other women gossip and goes to janie's house She tells Janie what the other women are saying about her. Janie laughs. She doesn't care. And Phoebe tells her they're just jealous, so they wish ill on her. And and Phoebe tells Janie that she still looks sexy even in overalls, and that's why they're resentful. Janie tells her that people like the women who are gossiping waste too much time putting their mouths on things they don't know anything about. And Janie tells her that they're wrong. Tea Cake didn't leave her for another woman, but he is gone. And by the way she says it, we don't know what if she means he's gone as in dead or left town or whatever. She tells him they were in the Everglades, but she came back to this town because she wasn't happy without him. And then Janie begins to tell her the story of what happened. She starts from the very beginning of her life and goes through her story. So this is her story. Chapter 2. Janie begins to tell the story of her life. She says that she didn't know her parents. She was raised by her grandma, who she calls Nanny. They lived in a house in the backyard of a white family named the Washburns. They were good people. They treated them well. And Janie played with the Washburns' grandkids, white kids. And they all called her grandma Nanny, so that's why she called her Nanny. Janie, until she was six years old, thought she was white, like the kids that she played with. Until one day a guy came to their house and took their photograph and when she saw the picture she couldn't figure out which one she was and when she realized she was the dark girl in the picture she says oh I'm colored and they all laughed and she says before she saw that picture she thought she was white like the rest of them. When she started going to school she was teased for living on white people's land and for having no parents Also, she was teased because Mrs. Washburn dressed Janie in her kids' hand-me-downs, and those clothes were nicer than any of the clothes the kids in her school wore. They also teased her about the dogs that apparently hunted her dad down before she was born. Apparently, he ran away when he found out she was going to be born. And Nanny decides it would be better for Janie if they moved out of the Washburn's backyard, so they help her get a house on her own land. So it's springtime, and she loves the spring. She spends a lot of her time looking at a pear tree in their yard, 
And when she's 16, a boy named Johnny Taylor comes to her gate and kisses her, which is her first kiss. She never thought much of Johnny Taylor before that day. But it says on page 12, in her former blindness, she had known him as shiftless Johnny Taylor, tall and lean. That was before the golden dust of pollen had beglamored his rags and her eyes. So this is an important symbol throughout the book. The pear tree spring is a symbol for Janie's, I guess, sexual awakening. And this, she, she likens love to the spring and the pear tree throughout the novel. So Nanny sees her kissing Johnny Taylor and tells Janie that he's not good enough for her. All Nanny wants for Janie is to be in a good situation, have an advantageous marriage. So she tells her that she is going to marry a man named Logan Killicks, who is a wealthy farmer. He's middle-aged. He can take care of her. But he's obviously much older than Janie, who is 16 at the time. She obviously doesn't want to marry him. But Nanny insists. Nanny tells Janie about her life as a slave. She says that black women are the mules, lower even than black men. On page 14, she says, Honey, the white man is the ruler of everything as far as I've been able to find out. Maybe there's some place way off in the ocean where the black man is in power, but we don't know anything but what we see. So the white man throws down the load and tells the black man to pick it up. He picks it up because he has to, but he doesn't tote it. He hands it to his women folk. The black woman is the mule of the world, so far as I can see. I've been praying for it to be different with you. Janie hears her story, but she still pleads with her not to make her marry Logan Killicks. She wants to wait for love, for a different opportunity, but Nanny is worried that she is going to die soon and she wants to secure Janie's future before she does. So Nanny keeps telling her about her life as a slave. She says when she was a slave, she was raped by her master and bore his child. And right after this, he was sent to fight in the Civil War. So her master's wife saw that the baby was light-skinned and light-eyed and light-haired and realized that it must have been her husband's child. So she freaks out, tells Nanny that the next day she'll be whipped a hundred times on the back And when the child is a month old, she's going to be sold into slavery. So Nanny gathers her strength after just having delivered a baby a week ago, runs away, named the daughter Leafy, and they hid in the swamps until the Civil War ended and slaves were freed. And that's when Nanny found the Washburns, started working for them, sent Leafy to school. But unfortunately, Leafy was raped by her school teacher when she was 17 and got pregnant. She bore his child, Janie, and then Leafy ran away, and so did the dad. So Nanny was left with Janie, and so she wants a better life for her, and begs Janie to do what she asks. Chapter 3. Janie really, really wants to be in love, but because of Nanny, she agrees to marry Logan Killicks. She spends a lot of her time at the pear tree thinking, and she hopes that once they're married, she'll fall in love with him. Nanny assures her that she will. She says, husbands and wives loved each other, and that was what marriage meant. That's what Janie thinks. So she's excited at the idea that she won't be lonely anymore. So they have a big wedding and a big party. Janie goes to her new home with Logan. It says, on 22, Janie went inside to wait for love to begin. But a few months later, she still feels nothing towards him. She goes to Nanny to confide in her that she's afraid she'll never love Logan. 
And she says on 23, you told me I was going to love him and I don't. Maybe if somebody was to tell me how, I could do it. Nanny is angry with her for not respecting Logan and appreciating the wealth and security he's given her. Janie tells Nanny all the annoying things Logan does and how she can't look past them to love him and how he's not meant to be loved. She says she wants a marriage that's sweet, like when you sit under a pear tree and think. Nanny tells her that she will start to love him if she lets herself, and after Janie leaves, Nanny prays on her knees for hours, asking God to help Janie. And a month later, Nanny dies. Some more time passes, and Janie still doesn't love Logan, and becomes more and more disappointed. On 25, it says, She knew now that marriage did not make love. Janie's first dream was dead, so she became a woman. Chapter 4 So Janie's husband, Logan, starts to complain that Janie is spoiled, and he decides to stop pampering her so much. She's not useful enough, and he's not going to do it. He's not going to pamper her anymore. One day, he leaves the house to go buy a mule, and it's a far trip, so he says he'll be gone till long after dark. Janie is out in her yard when she sees a beautiful black man walking down the road. He's stylish and cool, and his name is Joe Starks. On 27, it says, he was a seal brown color, but he acted like he was white. He comes over to her to say hello, and they start flirting a little. He says he's from Georgia. He worked for white people his whole life and saved up money to leave. And he's come to Florida, which is where Janie lives, because he heard of a community that is run by black people, and he wants to live there. It says on 28, he had always wanted a big voice. But the white folks had all the say-so where he came from and everywhere else, except this place that colored folks were building themselves. So, he has very high expectations. He really wants to live in this place where black people run everything. He flirts with Janie. He tells her that she's beautiful. She shouldn't have to work so much for her husband. And he is shocked when he finds out she's married because she's so young. So he likes her and he decides that it would do him good to stay in town and rest for a week or two just so he can spend time with her. And Janie goes to meet him every day in secret and they talk. It says on 29, they talk about when he would be a big ruler of things with her reaping the benefits. Janie is hesitant. Obviously her grandmother's voice is in her head reminding her that security is more important than love but she is captivated by Joe Starks and his talk about change and hope, and she feels hope that she will find love with him. She's never met someone with such big dreams, and she calls him Jody, and he tells her that he wants to marry her. He says, on 29, the day you put your hand in mine, I wouldn't let the sun go down on us. So two weeks after they meet, Jody asks her to leave her husband and marry him. He tells her to meet him the next day, just after sunrise, and they will run away together. So that night, Janie and Logan get into a fight. He again calls her spoiled. She says she wants to run away. She says, suppose I was to run off and leave you sometime. So he's obviously hurt and offended by this, and he reacts by trying to hurt Janie as well. On 30, it says, the thought put a terrible ache in Logan's body, but he thought it best to put up scorn instead of something like asking her to stay or whatever. He tells her, that she acts white and spoiled, and he hopes that he hurt her like she hurt him. The next morning, Logan tells her that she is going to start doing work on the farm. She refuses, says she won't do what he says, won't worship him in his land, and doesn't love him. Logan breaks down crying. 
And Janie stands in the kitchen thinking about her life. On page 32, it says, What was she losing so much time for? A feeling of sudden newness and change came over her, and she walked out of the house and down the road to meet Jody. She decides that she'll never do anything that doesn't bring her joy again. It says on 32, from now until death, she was going to have flower dust and springtime sprinkled over everything. So Jody is waiting for her. He hired a car to take them and she gets in. He tells the driver to take them to Green Cove Springs and they're married that night before the sun goes down. Chapter five, the two lovers arrive in town. They find that there are not that many people, only a dozen shacks for houses Jody's clearly disappointed to find it so small, but they meet some men named Lee Cocker and Amos Hicks. Amos Hicks assumes Janie is Jody's daughter, and when Jody tells him she's his wife, he becomes suddenly uninterested in the rest of the conversation because he thinks that Janie is beautiful. And Jody asks to meet their mayor, and they tell him there is no mayor, and he says, on 35, no wonder things aren't better. Us men folks got to call people together and form a committee. Then we can get things moving around here. So he takes over. He's like, all right, fine. I'll make things happen around here. And the two men tell Jody that he can rent a house, one of the shacks, until he builds his own. And Janie and Jody walk away to the house. The men are sitting under this tree. And as Janie and Jody walk away, they talk about them. Hicks is especially interested in Janie, obviously. And Lee makes fun of him for thinking he'd ever have a chance with Janie. But they go to meet Jody again at the house because they're very interested in them. And a crowd has gathered around to meet the new people. Joe asks about the town and finds out that it is called Eatonville and it's about 50 acres. It's called Eatonville because the man who started it is Captain Eaton and he lives nearby. And Jody says he's going to go meet him and purchase more land from him. Some of the townspeople decided to go with him because they wanted to see the show and also they didn't actually believe him and they wanted to call his bluff because mostly they didn't think that he actually had money to pay for the land. But Jody goes, he pays cash for 200 acres to add to the town. Amos Hicks stays back and tries to flirt with Janie to no avail. She's very sure in her responses and he leaves because he gets the hint that she's not interested and later he gets teased by his friends that there's no way he could get a woman like that away from joe who is obviously powerful and rich hicks is clearly hurt says she's not even that pretty he says there ain't nothing to her except that long hair and he's upset that jody is powerful and goes for what he wants but he can't understand why it bugs him his friend lee tells him on page 39, he says, us colored folks are too envious of one another. That's why we don't get further than we do. We talk about the white man keeping us down, but he doesn't have to. We keep our own selves down. Joe is obviously very ambitious. He makes his mark on the town by announcing his plans to build a store and a post office. He hires Lee and another man named Tony Taylor to build the store, and he hires some more men to clear the roads. And he goes around to neighboring towns trying to recruit people to come live in Eatonville. He makes his money back by selling lots of land very quickly. And the store is built quickly. And they have a celebration in his honor. At the party, Tony Taylor stands up and moves to make Jody mayor of the town. 
Everyone seconds his motion. Taylor stands up and asks Janie to give a speech in honor of her husband. But Joe steps in, steps in front of her, says that wives shouldn't make speeches. He says on 43, she's a woman and her place is in the home. Janie is clearly angry about this, but she does what she's told. So he spends a lot of time on the town. And Janie tells Jody that she wants to spend more time with him and wants him to spend less time working. But he's like, this is just the beginning. I told you in the very beginning that I aimed to be a big voice. You ought to be glad because that makes a big woman out of you. So after a while, Janie starts to feel the impact of awe and envy against her. The town starts to see the bad in Jody too. On 47, it says there's something about Joe Starks that made people bow down to him, or he made it clear that he wanted people to bow down to him. So he builds a two-story home for himself, which makes everyone else's house look like slave quarters, and he paints it, of course, stark white. He dresses Janie and himself in very expensive clothing, And they come off as sort of aristocratic to everyone else. He also got himself and Janie matching gold spittoons for their tobacco. Like literally they were spitting their chewing tobacco in gold vases, which made everyone else feel lowly because they spit theirs on the ground or in tomato cans. So he clearly is doing things. He's like trying to make them feel inferior. So a man named Henry Pitts is caught stealing from Joe and Joe runs him out of town, which the townspeople do not think is fair. And they look at Janie and wonder how she handles Joe because he's really tough to handle. So Joe makes Janie work in the store. And while she's working in the store, she has to hide her hair. So he makes her tie it up in rags. The townspeople don't understand why he would do this because her hair is the most beautiful thing about her, but obviously he's doing it because he doesn't want anyone else to look at her except for himself. Some people in town are envious of Joe, some people don't like him, some people are afraid of him, but they all do what he says. On page 50 it says, The town had a basket full of feelings, good and bad, about Joe's positions and possessions, but none had the temerity to challenge him. They bowed down to him rather because he was all of these things. And then again, he was all of these things because the town bowed down to him. All right, chapter six. Janie doesn't like working in the store, but she does it because it's one of the only things that Jody allows her to do. And she's taking what she can get. The one thing she does like about working in the store is she likes hearing people tell their stories on the porch. So there's like a porch in front of the store and people hang out there and chat and she loves hearing them but Jody doesn't like Janie to interact with the townspeople because she's better than that clearly so she just listens and she hears a lot of stories about the people in town a lot of the time the stories involve a man named Matt Bonner and his mule so he has a mule that he overworks he doesn't treat it well and a lot of people talk about it as like a joke so she spends most of her time in the store listening to other people And she hates that Jody makes her tie up her hair in a rag. Obviously, he makes her hide it because he doesn't like men looking at her, but he doesn't tell Janie that. It says on 55, Jody never told Janie how jealous he was. He never told her how often he had seen the other men figuratively wallowing in it as she went about things in the store. She was in the store for him to look at, not those others. 
but he never said things like that. It just wasn't in him. Okay, so going back to Matt Bonner and his mule. So the mule runs away and ends up in front of the store. Some of the men outside the store start bugging the mule and this upsets Janie and she starts complaining about it under her breath because she's not allowed to speak out loud, apparently. And she says under her breath that they should be ashamed for bugging a poor animal. Jody overhears her. In hopes of impressing her, he takes matters into his own hands. He thinks himself heroic, so he buys the mule from Map Honor so that he can so that the mule can rest and not have to work anymore. The townspeople obviously think Jody is a hero, that he liberated the mule, and Janie gives a speech when he buys the mule and compares it to Abraham Lincoln emancipating slaves, which is a little extreme in my opinion. But she says on 58, Jody, that was a mighty fine thing for you to do. Not everybody would have thought of it because it's not an everyday thought. Freeing that mule makes a mighty big man out of you. Something like George Washington and Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, he had the whole United States to rule, so he freed the Negroes. You've got a town, so you freed a mule. You have the power to free things, and that makes you like a king or something. After her speech, someone compliments Joe. He says, your wife is a great orator. Joe doesn't say anything about it, but he's obviously not happy that she got up and spoke. Anyway, everyone loves the mule. It becomes a symbol for the town. And when it dies, Jody has a big funeral for it that turns into a huge party with the entire town. But Joe won't let Janie come to the party because a woman of her status shouldn't attend parties. That would be improper. So he says he's surprised at her for even asking if she could go. At the funeral, Jody gives the eulogy and it says that the ceremony mocked everything human in death. And he called the mule their most distinguished citizen. And they say that the mule will be in heaven and Matt Bonner, his original owner, will be made to plow for the devil forever. And then vultures eat the mule's body. So, when Joe gets back from the funeral, he can tell that Janie is bugged. And this makes him mad because he thinks that she should be appreciative of everything he does for her. Janie is obviously frustrated that Jody is restricting the things that she can do. And she accuses him of being no fun. And he says he's being responsible. Janie doesn't fight him on it, but she doesn't change her mind either. She just didn't want to argue. One day outside the store, Sam Watson and another guy are debating. Sam Watson is Phoebe's wife, who is Janie's friend. And the two men are having a philosophical debate about what makes people not touch hot stoves, whether it's natural instinct or it's learned behavior. Jody joins in on the argument and... There's some women who come to the store to listen to them. The men start flirting. Sam and a guy named Charlie argue over a girl and try to like buy her treats and stuff. But then a woman named Daisy Blunt comes walking down the street and all of the male focus goes to her. It says on 67, Daisy is walking a drum tune. You can almost hear it by looking at the way she walks. So she knows what the men think of her and she uses it to her advantage. The men go back and forth saying what they would do for Daisy if they gave him a chance. And one man says he'd jump out of a plane just to walk her home. 
and Janie is laughing, enjoying the humor, and Jody notices that she's enjoying it and takes it upon himself to ruin it for her. And a woman comes to the store, and Joe makes Janie go inside to wait on her so that she can't listen to the fun anymore. So Janie and Joe get into a fight in the store because it's like over an order because Janie didn't enter it properly or Joe thought she didn't and Janie tells him to stop telling her what to do and he says he has to tell her what to do because on 71 he says somebody has to think for women and children and chickens because they sure don't think for themselves. Janie defends herself saying she can think for herself and Joe just keeps digging at her. It says on 71 he wanted her submissions and he'd keep fighting until he had it. So gradually she pressed her teeth together and learned to hush. After this, their marriage became nothing more than living in the same house. They barely interacted. They slept in separate beds. And one day, Jody slapped Janie in the face because she burned dinner. After he left on 72, it says, Janie stood there until something fell off the shelf inside her. Then she went inside there to see what it was. It was her image of Jody tumbled down and shattered. But looking at it, she saw that it was never the flesh and blood figure of her dreams just something she had grabbed up to drape her dreams over. So she realized in that moment all the secret thoughts that she hadn't shared with Jody and had kept in her heart where she was saving them for someone, some unknown man she hoped to find someday. She leaves the house and goes to the store where Jody is talking with some other people and he wants peace with her but on his own terms and there's a woman who comes to the store, Mrs. Robbins. She comes begging for food she says that her husband doesn't feed her or her children, and Joe is like, I know your husband, Tony. He comes here every week to buy groceries. That can't be true, but she continues to say they're starving, so Jody gets up to offer her a small slab of meat to feed her children. It's not as much meat as she wanted, so she gets angry, but she still leaves with it, and Jody adds the meat to Tony's tab. He tells the people at the store that Tony tells him to humor his wife because she's off her rocker a little. But the other men there, they all talk about how they would kill their wives if they acted like that. Janie hates that talk, and she can't take it anymore. And it says she did what she'd never done before, thrust herself into the conversation. On 75, she says, Sometimes God gets familiar with us women folks, too, and talks his inside business. He told me how surprised he was about y'all turning out so smart after him making you different. And how surprised y'all are going to be if you ever find out you don't know half as much about us as you think you do. It's easy to make yourself out God Almighty when you ain't got nothing to strain against but women and chickens. That's the first time she actually uses her voice and asserts her opinion. And Jody tells Janie that she's too mouthy and asks her to go get something or tells her to go get something for him. All right, chapter seven. Chapter 7 opens with this line. It says, The years took all the fight out of Janie's face. For a while, she thought it was gone from her soul. No matter what Jody did, she said nothing. So she's 35 now. She feels like she's super old. She just becomes more and more defeated. And she thinks about running away, but she has nowhere to go to and doesn't think that any man would want her now. She thinks that she has lost all of her beauty. She feels like an outsider watching her life pass by. She f sometimes finds herself looking at her life as a third person from the outside. 
She feels very detached, and this detachment allows her to reconcile her life in a way. Jody is also getting older. He, remember, is much older than her, so his body is slowly shutting down. He's super insecure about himself getting older and how old he looks, especially because Janie is so much younger than him, and he starts to insult her appearance and age in order to deflect the focus from his own insecurities. On page 77, it says, If he thought to deceive her, he was wrong. For the first time, she could see a man's head naked of its skill. She saw the cunning thoughts race in and out through the caves and promontories of his mind long before they darted out of his mouth. She saw he was hurting inside, so she let it pass along without talking. As he gets older, as he gets more insecure, he gets more and more vicious towards Janie, especially in the store when other people are around. One day at the store, Janie makes a mistake. And Jody freaks out at her and insults her in basically every way, especially her appearance. And she decides she can't handle it anymore. So she fights back and insults his appearance too. She calls him old and brittle and fat and insults his manhood, which is obviously the worst possible thing she could do to him. So everyone at the store is shocked. On page 80, it says Janie had robbed him of his illusion of irresistible maleness that all men cherish which was terrible. But Janie had done worse. She had cast down his empty armor before men and they had laughed and would keep on laughing. Jody is depressed. He feels like there's nothing else to do in life and his anger and embarrassment and shame are so intense that there are no words to express himself. So he hits Janie and she runs from the store after he hits her. Chapter eight. From then on, they slept in separate bedrooms Jody keeps getting older and sicker and tries a lot of different things to help. It says on 81, he didn't really hate Janie, but he wanted her to think so. But to outside observers, they seemed fine and peaceful, especially in public. Janie doesn't understand why he can be this mad at her for belittling his appearance when he does it to her all the time. So Jody calls on some natural doctors, not real medical licensed doctors, more like, I don't know, earthy doctors, I guess, trying to find help for his condition. Janie knows he needs a real doctor, but he won't. So she tries to bring him food while he's sick in his bed. At this point, he's bedridden. At this point, he's bedridden and Janie tries to bring him food while he's sick, but he refuses to eat anything that Janie makes him. This makes Janie really upset. She cries to Phoebe that she can't believe he thinks she would poison him. But other women in the community bring him food. That hurts her feelings. And he knows it hurts her feelings. She tells Sam, Phoebe's husband, to call for a real doctor to look at him and make sure that Jody doesn't know it was her idea. The doctor comes from Orlando and tells them that his kidneys are failing and he's going to die. That he needed medical attention two years ago, but now it's too late. So when he's about to die, Janie goes in to see him for the last time even though he says he doesn't want to see her. They quickly begin fighting again. Jody tells her that she never appreciated him and everything he did for her. And this is their a little bit of their conversation on page 85. Janie says, no, Jody, it wasn't because I didn't have sympathy. I just did never get the chance to use it. You wouldn't let me. And Jody says, that's right. Blame everything on me. I wouldn't let you show any feeling when Janie, that's all I ever wanted or desired. Janie tries to explain to him that he suppressed her and never let her be herself and never liked her for her. She says that he never really even knew her, 
that they lived together for 20 years and he never got to know her. She says that he's not the same man she met and ran away with and she had to squash herself in order to make room for him. She goes on and on and he breaks down sobbing thinking about how he's dying and he dies while she's in the room and she feels only pity for him. It says on 87, Jody had been hard on her and others, but life had mishandled him too. And so she feels, she feels sad for him. But she looks at herself in the mirror and sees a beautiful woman finally and takes her hair down. And she looks at herself for a while, happy to see herself in there. But knowing her duty, she ties her hair back up. And it says on 87, then she starched and ironed her face, forming it into just what people wanted to see. And she went to the window where people were gathered outside of her house and calls to them, telling them that her husband is dead. Chapter 9. Jody's funeral is a very grand affair. They say it's the finest thing they had ever seen. Janie was the perfect wife during all of this. She wore her face just right and covered it with a veil. It says on 88, it was, it was like a wall of stone and steel. The funeral was going on outside. All things concerning death and burial were said and done, finished, and... Nevermore darkness, deep hole, disillusion, eternity, weeping and wailing outside. Inside the expensive black folds were resurrection and life. So she feels so happy inside because she feels finally free, but on the outside she pretends to be sad. So after the funeral, she burns all the rags that she was forced to wear in her hair, but that was the only change that people saw. She started wearing her hair in a braid again. But she still ran the store even though she didn't like it and she still feels Jody's presence in the store especially because their employee Hezekiah still works there and he has taken on a lot of Jody's attributes even though he's 17. But Janie does her dutiful period of mourning which is six months and she feels the weight of loneliness but she also enjoys the freedom and the change. She realizes that she resents her grandmother for the beliefs she tried to impose on her and she realizes that her grandmother stifled her and she hated her for it. So now that her husband is dead, men pay more attention to her, especially because she's a wealthy widow. And even men who were close with Jody want her and men travel from far away to see her. People tell her that she needs a man, but she doesn't want another man to tie her down. She likes her freedom. But some of the men warn her that she's too young and pretty to stay single and she could easily be taken advantage of for her station and wealth. On page 92, it says she was happy except for the store. She knew by her head that she was absolute owner, but it always seemed to her that she was still clerking for Jody and that soon he would come in and find something wrong that she had done. Hezekiah treats her like a baby sister and believes himself above her because he is a man this business of managing stores and women store owners was trying on a man's nerves. So after the mourning period ends, she begins wearing white, which is the custom. So six months mourning, and then you wear white to show suitors that you're now available. But she refuses all the advances that men make because they're all stiff with her and they're intimidated, especially because she was married to Joe Starks. One man is a wealthy undertaker. She pretends to be a little bit interested in him, and maybe she is really, but her main goal is to just put it off as long as possible. She's not interested in dating anyone or marrying anyone. She tells Phoebe that she likes her freedom too much, and Phoebe's concerned that the town will think she didn't care about Jody, and <laughs> Janie doesn't care. She says that mourning shouldn't have to last longer than grief. 
and she doesn't feel any grief. All right, so that is the end of this episode. In the next episode, we'll cover chapters 10 through 20, which is the end of the book, and then we'll go over themes. So make sure you listen to that one too. So go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram and subscribe on Spotify or iTunes so that you know when new books are released.